It's the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Coming in three, two, one. Hi, and welcome to this month's episode of the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. This is Rob Sparks of the National Science Foundation National Optical Infrared Astronomy Research Laboratory. And I'm here today with Dr. Emma Bezor. Good afternoon, uh, Emma. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Okay, great. Well, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do here at the OIR lab? Yeah, so I um, last year I finished my PhD in astrophysics and I got a job as a research fellow. So I'm a full-time researcher here at the OIR lab. Okay, and uh, wh- where did you get your undergrad? Where did you get your degrees? I did my degrees both in Liverpool, so at University of Liverpool and at Liverpool John Moores for my PhD. Okay, well, welcome to welcome to the OIR lab. So today we're going to talk about your research on red supergiants. First, could you tell us what is a red supergiant and how do they form? So they're massive stars that have exhausted their main source of fuel, so they've already ran out of hydrogen, which is what powers stars for most of their lives. But they've already ran out of their hydrogen fuel, so they're in the end phase of their life where they're burning helium. And they're extremely cool and massive stars. And when a star gets to the red supergiant phase, it's only got about a million years before it'll explode as a supernova. So so how long did it take to get to the red giant super phase? Um, They live a lot faster than other stars. So the bigger a star is, the shorter its life is. So generally it's about 10 million years. So you're interested in the big stars that live short lives. Yeah, they burn through their fuel much faster. Okay. Well, you're looking at something we call the red, it's called the red super giant problem. This is one I was not very familiar with. So Mm -hmm. what is the red super giant problem you're trying to explore and solve? Okay, so as I said, um, the red super giants, once they end their lives, they explode as supernovae. So they run out of fuel completely in their core and at this point the star can't support itself so all of its outer layers come crashing down onto its core and the when you look at red supergiants in nature you see them up to masses about 30 times that of our sun but when you look at the stars that are actually exploding it looks like there is some missing missing progenitors so missing stars so above about 18 solar masses we're not seeing the stars explode like we think that they should um so this is basically the problem. The problem is that's what's happening to the most massive red supergiants and why aren't they exploding? Hmm, that's interesting. So so what type of data do you examine? Uh, what to tell you about this red supergiant problem? So what we did was we compared, uh, we basically reran statistics on the red supergiants that we see existing in the two local, in, in the local galaxy and um, but compared it to the type, the 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 masses of the supernova that we're seeing, the stars that we're seeing exploding as supernovae. And when you um, look at the the brightnesses or the, the masses of the red supergiants that we're seeing nearby, they're actually not as bright as what we thought they would be. So the actual maximum mass is probably a little bit lower. And then when you compare this to the stars that are exploding, there's actually a very tiny offset. And to be honest with you, there's just not enough there's not enough data, there's not enough supernova going off for us to confirm whether there is a problem or whether we're just not seeing the most massive ones explode because there's fewer of them. So, so you haven't really resolved the problem. You said <clears> that the statistics don't say that there actually is a problem. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what we're saying is there's actually no problem. And, you know, we've got to wait to until, find out. Until we get better statistics, there's <laughs> exactly. no problem. Exactly. So where are the next steps of this research and what would you need to uh, figure out to uh, resolve this issue for once and for all? Well, we're lucky because at the moment there's a lot of new supernova surveys coming out. So there's the Vera Rubin Observatory will be looking for transient objects, so objects which get brighter in the night sky 
And could you tell just briefly what the Vera Rubin Observatory is? Because I think that's a new term for many of our uh, listeners. Yes, the Vera Rubin Observatory is um, a large project where uh, there'll be there'll be telescopes scanning the night sky every night, um, looking out for any star which changes in its brightness, which could tell us that there's either a, a supernova or something else going on. Mm-hmm. And this is the project formerly known as the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope. Yeah, the LSST, okay. yeah. So, so, so with um, with projects like this, we're going to have huge amounts of data. We're going to see a lot more supernova than we've ever seen before. And we're hoping that this will, using all of this new data and seeing a lot more supernovae, will tell us whether or not there actually is a problem. So you're exploring supernova both inside our galaxy as well as other galaxies now? Just any that you can see, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Now, so, well, well that's, that's wonderful. So, uh, Please, I hope you uh, have much luck in this future research. Thank you. So we have a famous red giant called Betelgeuse, or Betelgeuse, depending on how you pronounce it, that has been behaving unusual recently. Would you care to say something about its recent uh, unusual behavior? Yeah, so a a famous red supergiant actually is uh, Betelgeuse, which has obviously been in the news a lot at the minute. So that is one of the brightest stars in the night sky. Um, It's in the Orion Nebula, which you can see at the moment because it's winter. Um, and recently it's been getting a lot dimmer than usual. It's had um, a good few months where it's just got significantly less bright than it was, Um, and a lot of people thought that this might mean that Betelgeuse was about to explode, but actually it it looks like it's just spat out loads of its own material as dust, and it's just kind of blocking its own light, so it's just looking fainter because it's all covered in in dust, so probably not going to go supernova anytime soon. There's this dust dissipates that might brighten up again yeah yeah it'll probably move out and it'll okay. it's, it's already getting brighter now okay actually. yeah <laughs> i remember seeing it last november for the but last fall like october november and saw mm-hmm. Betelgeuse and looked up and it looked so much dimmer than yeah. usual and at first i just sort of dismissed it's like oh there must be a thin passing cloud or yeah, something that yeah. went on and a few days later i see on twitter it's like everyone's no, talking about Betelgeuse dimming it's like that was real definitely so, definitely dimmer yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so very easy to see well thank you for joining me today uh, emma no problem so this is rob spark signing off for this episode of 365 days of Astronomy podcast you are listening to the 365 days of astronomy podcast The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. This show is made possible thanks to the generous donations of people like you. Please consider supporting our show on Patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and get access to bonus content. After 10 years, the three. 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is entering its second decade of sharing important milestones in space exploration and astronomy discoveries. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye.